Good morning. Happy Advent. Last week, Pastor Gary shared the story of Zechariah, that he and his wife Elizabeth experienced weariness in the waiting as they received news that she would bear a child in her advanced age. It's a very diplomatic way to say that in case you were looking for one. They would be parents to John the Baptist. Today, our story picks up with Elizabeth's perspective on the news and her cousin, we use the term loosely, uh, they were relatives. Mary would be mother to Jesus. When we read about the two meeting, we imagine them as great friends, at least I always have. But it's important for us to know Elizabeth was probably old enough to be Mary's grandmother. And Mary, not yet a wife, was probably still sitting at the kids' table on Thanksgiving. While their connection's unlikely, we will find that that story results in joy. And it brought to mind a story I read about Giovanni Paz from Chicago and his much older co-worker, Bill Cervenka. Giovanni tells the story of their unlikely friendship. I met my best, friend, my best friend, Bill Cervenka, at work. I was 23 and he was 85. But it seemed I had more in common with him than any of the friends my age. We were both really stubborn. He always had an umbrella, and whenever it was raining after work, he used to say, let me, walk with you. let me walk you to your car. I would always decline the offer, but he would say, I'm walking you to your car whether you like it or not. Bill and I always took the same lunch break. He didn't recognize many of the Mexican dishes I often, uh, and often asked what I was eating. I always offered him a taste along with some of my Oreos. Eventually, it became our tradition that every time a new limited edition Oreo flavor was released, we waited to try it together. That's an awesome tradition. <laughs> Bill passed away in April 2019. I miss him every day. Now I always carry my umbrella and make sure people without one don't get wet. And when someone declines my offer, I say, I'm walking with you whether you like it or not. Interesting connection, right? Resulting in joy. Like Bill and Giovanni, Elizabeth and Mary would find themselves drawn together across generations. Luke 1, 24 through 25 kind of introduces us to Mary's perspective, although a little brief. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, this is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. So Elizabeth secludes herself. Why do you think that is? I mean, if she was trying to hide her pregnancy, wouldn't she do it on the other end of that? Like right now, she's not even showing. So why hide at the beginning? Perhaps the news of her pregnancy had gotten around and she didn't want anybody doubting. You don't look pregnant. Maybe she needed to be away from people who uh, would give her some unsolicited advice. She has no peers. All of her peers know everything there is to know about childbearing. They had their own kids. Perhaps she didn't need the condes condescending advice or stares. It said that God took away her disgrace. That's how the community had treated her 
the fact that she could not have a child as disgrace. Perhaps she isolated because that just wasn't a group of people she wanted to be around. For whatever the reason, she's isolated. She's separated. But maybe there's another reason she went away. Do you think Elizabeth experienced any form of resentment? Is it possible that the joy of this son was overshadowed by the pain of knowing she would not experience watching him have a family of his own? She would probably never become a grandmother and see her grandchildren. Perhaps she reflected on all the years of pain that she experienced feeling left out while she watched other mothers tend to their children, longing for a child of her own. She was living in this bittersweet paradox, the joy of the news with the bitterness of of what could have been. I think of a lot of people who found their success in life fairly late in their journey. Harlan Sanders was 62 when he opened his first Kentucky Fried Chicken. Julia Child didn't even publish a cookbook until she was 50. Duncan Hines, who wrote about hospitality, basically his job was eating out and writing about it, which sounds like an awesome job but wasn't on a cake box until he was well into his 70s. Grandma Moses first picked up a brush when she was 60 years old, but didn't have any success until at least a decade later. I wonder if they ever had that bittersweet emotion, the thought that their dreams, while fantastic, were realized a little too late. In 1951, Langston Hughes wrote the poem Harlem, Here he expressed the tragedy so many black Americans knew and experienced when they were denied opportunity because of their race. Listen to his words. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load, or does it explode? Did Elizabeth feel like her dream was deferred? When there clearly should have been joy, was it mixed with sorrow, longing for a normal life, whatever that is? The scripture never doubts Elizabeth's faithfulness, but we have to wonder if she saw God's gift as too little, too late. The scripture then takes us to Mary. A teenage girl who lived in a strict, conservative culture, and while she's betrothed to Joseph, a premarital commitment that would have yet required divorce, she has likely never experienced romance. Enter the angel Gabriel. Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. Great. And now life as you know it, as you imagined it, will completely change. Mary, who is essentially a child herself, would conceive the child of the Holy Spirit. Yes, 
She knew, kind of. <laughs> Just to answer the question. <laughs> the child would be the son of the Most High. Mary has questions. How can this be since I'm a virgin? But still, Mary is obedient and faithful, even if she's scared as well. You see, unlike Elizabeth, Mary having a child so young out of wedlock wasn't like necessarily miraculous, but it would be cause for her to be ostracized. Her family might shame her. She would be isolated. There would be assumptions made. An angel, yeah, right. At the end of the passage, Mary says, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Essentially, though, that word servant from the Greek is a lot of times translated slave. And I don't say that to, to assume anything about Mary. I'm sure she meant it in the strongest obedience. But isn't it ironic that she says, I am here to serve and be a slave to the Lord, when right at the beginning, there was this royal decree, blessed and favored are you, Mary. Kind of shows the juxtaposition of the emotions or things that she is carrying with her. Like her older relative, she swirls in confusion. Seems a lot less like joy and more like a state of resignation, that bittersweet. We often think of Mary as noble, but she was probably 13, 14 at the time. Did she have much of a choice? Do you think Mary mourned her uncertain future or her innocence taken? Maybe these questions bother you because they bother me. I mean, my kids have to deal with spotty Wi-Fi and other first-world problems. When there are children in war-torn countries who know only spotty electricity and maybe unclean water. Like Mary, my heart aches for kids who have had to grow up so quickly. For them, it seems to be too much too soon. Mary might feel bittersweet about the good news from the angel. But Gabriel ends his proclamation by telling Mary about her relative Elizabeth, who experienced a similar miracle. It's not by coincidence. Do you think that that's why Mary made the journey into the hill country, it tells us, to see her older relative? I mean, technically they were family, but with very little in common, now she goes to Elizabeth, who might be the only other person in the world who would believe her or even understand her. And when they meet, it's a whole different scene. Mary goes to greet Elizabeth, and something extraordinary happens. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me? that the mother of my Lord comes to me. For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment that was spoken to her by the Lord. You see, 
It says that the Holy Spirit came upon Elizabeth, which, which makes me think that Elizabeth didn't know Mary was pregnant. If she heard it through the grapevine, that's not very good isolation by Mary. No, I believe that their connection causes both Mary and Elizabeth to experience God's presence together. The two find community. There's a joy that the two share of not being alone in God's mission. After this experience, Mary gives this long expression of faith that's following uh, in the following verses. See, when their isolation became connection, the two experience God's presence. When their isolation becomes connection, the two experience a purpose that goes beyond their confusion. When their isolation becomes connection, their bittersweet longing becomes joy. Kate Bowler, who's a theologian and cancer survivor, says that this story reminds us that joy is not the absence of fear or disbelief or uncertainty or sorrow. In fact, joy exists despite all the reasons it shouldn't. What kind of joy is that? What kind of joy do, uh, do we understand that exists in the middle of uncertainty or even pain? Because God's plan is that we would experience joy in our connection here as the church. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to bring us together. In John chapter 15, verses 9 through 12, Jesus has these words for his friends, his disciples. This wasn't for the general public. This was for his followers. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made complete. So how do we experience that joy? My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Our God embodies love. We find that obedience to God is shown in our love for one another. The commands of Jesus make it really hard to do life with God without other people around you. We are a group that exists in community. Our joy is complete when we want what God wants. And God wants us to love each other. And this joy is only possible because of the connection that we share to honor God. And we're inspired by Jesus, who's coming, folks. He's coming. In their gathering, Elizabeth and Mary found joy. In this community, we find joy through shared connection. And we can find joy even in impossible, unfathomable circumstances. 17 years ago from this fall, a gunman barricaded himself inside a one-room Amish schoolhouse near Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Then he opened fire. Terry Roberts recalls driving to her son's house that morning. She says, as I turned on the radio on the way there, the newscaster was reporting there had been a shooting at the Amish schoolhouse. 
By, that time, by the time that I was at my son's home, I saw my husband and a state trooper standing right in front of me. And I looked at my husband and he said, it was Charlie. He said, I will never face my Amish neighbors again. Charlie Roberts killed five children and injured five others before taking his own life, killing himself. One family was isolated by the grief of tremendous loss. A whole entire Amish community just beside themselves with with pain. And there was another family who felt the shame of what their son, the person that they had raised and nurtured, had done to somebody else. What is the prospect in our imagination that either of these groups of people would recover from something so devastating, much less experience joy, or a joy that would be the direct result of this, right? But the Amish community in this situation would respond in a way that would shock the world. So that week, the Robertses had a private funeral for their son. But as they went to the gravesite, they saw as many as 40 Amish start coming out from around the side of the graveyard, surrounding them like a crescent. Love just emanated from them, Terry tells people. I do recall the father saying, I, don't believe, or I believe that I have forgiven, but there are some days when I question that. Terry finds it especially hard to accept that forgiveness when she thinks of one of the survivors, Rosanna. Rosanna's head injuries left her bound to a wheelchair, fed by a tube, and with regular seizures. Terry asked if it would be possible for her to help with Rosanna once a week. So once a week, Terry would visit the child of one of her son's victims. One of her son's victims. Reading to her, bathing her, caring for her. I will never forget the devastation caused by my son, Terry said. But one of the fathers of the children said, none of us would have ever chosen this, but the relationships that we have built through it, you can't put a price on that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that experience that they have together? Their shared life now together. Not being pain or grief, but somehow being that and joy. Experience they never would have thought. God wants us to honor him with a holy purpose to love one another in community. And we find joy in community through friendship, encouragement, and even forgiveness. Isaiah 40, verse 11 talks about comfort. The whole, the whole uh, passage talks about comfort, but this comfort is a gathered joy. It says, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them to his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. In our society, we are driven to success 
independent of other people. A lot of times we compete against one another. It's even true in the church world. How big is your church? People ask that question. But if we want to experience the presence of God, if we want that clear purpose that God is calling us toward, and we want to find true joy, it will only be found in a community that loves one another. That's what Jesus is calling us for. And I pray that we may find that joy in connection that we have here together. Now, as I said that, Pastor Gary is not here with us today. He's with his family. But he prepared this video to highlight the ways that this community has reached out to him specifically. Last week, we identified that important step as acknowledging our weariness in order to move into joy. I acknowledge that I was feeling the weight of my dad's failing health. And on that Sunday afternoon, many of you encouraged me to do this, um, I did go and visit with mom and dad. And I had an opportunity to share my love, my profound appreciation for his life, his ministry, and to pray with him. And it was only a few minutes after I had left from that visit that I received word that dad had passed away. Brene Brown defines joy as an intense feeling of deep spiritual connection, pleasure, and appreciation. And she says that joy is characterized by connecting with others or with God, nature, and the universe. Essentially stating that making connections is basic to experiencing joy. I just want to thank this congregation for the outpouring support. I could share story after story of individuals that have come up to me and just demonstrate a care, a passion, and support. From folks in the congregation to staff members. Even as I was getting ready for the funeral, which will happen today in the afternoon, I just knew it would be difficult for me to preach. And I just had a quick conversation with Pastor Andrew, and he was just ready to support whatever is necessary, whatever it takes. That kind of friendship support somehow finds a way to bring joy even in the weariness. Folks who offer words of empathy and care, sharing their stories of loss with me, somehow those moments were catalysts for us connecting with each other and reducing our sense of isolation. And it seemed that they were, it was an opportunity by the end of the conversation to think, oh, I really appreciate this person more. It seems like I understand a little bit better. It brought meaning into our lives. And at times there's just even this sense of shared connection of joy. So I thank you for ministering to me this week. And frankly, you do it all the time. This week especially, I needed it. And you were there for me. So thank you. Isn't it powerful to know that the essence of faith is relationships and the key to joy is making connection to those around us. Thank you for how you've ministered to me. At this time, as we prepare to take our offering, 
and worship with our gifts that God's given us. I invite you to to pray with me as we consider um, the joy that we can experience together. Gracious God, we come before you knowing our frustrations, knowing our pains. And it's such an easy thing to do to hide those things. Help us to participate in a community connection where in spite of the things that we are feeling or experiencing, we can have joy. Joy through shared sorrow, joy through shared pain, joy through the celebration of good things that you're doing in our community. Help us know that you built us to be in community together as the body of Christ. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and the season where we celebrate and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.